Welcome back to City on the Edge, the podcast where we tell Albuquerque and New Mexico stories. I'm Ty Bannerman. Mike Smith is currently lost in the desert, and Nora Hickey abandoned us for football. One of the most iconic images of the American West is the ghost town, and New Mexico has more than its fair share of these collections of abandoned buildings and dusty reminders of lives long gone. If you do any research on New Mexico ghost towns, you are bound to find yourself checking out the City of Dust blog at cityofdust.blogspot.com and Facebook page, where explorer and author John Mulhouse chronicles his many expeditions to these mostly forgotten sites. I spoke with John by phone recently and delved into where his love for ghost towns comes from, strange encounters he's had while exploring them, and his upcoming book, Abandoned New Mexico, Ghost Towns, Endangered Architecture and Hidden History, which is due to be released in June of this year. Here's John. I saw that you've been doing this for 16 years, coming up in, uh, looks like, August of 2020? Yeah, that'll be right. Yep, yep. I started when I was living in Augusta, Georgia. I'd never taken a photo of anything before, but there's some incredibly old and derelict buildings in Augusta, especially back then. I was just fascinated by them. So that's really where it started was Augusta. You know, I started in probably taking pictures in 2003. And so that was about six years before I got to New Mexico. I'm from Minneapolis, and I went to Georgia for graduate school. was in Athens for a bit, Augusta. Then I moved to Knoxville, Tennessee, Oakland, California. Bouncing around a lot. And it was it was in Augusta when, when this kind of passion for ghost towns started? Um, the first, you know, I didn't really, like, ghost towns um, per se didn't really start until I got to New Mexico. Before yes. that, it was just old, derelict buildings. I became fascinated by their history, just old places in general. And then when I got to New Mexico, then I realized I'd really hit the jackpot. Um, <laughs> that's where like entire ghost towns kind of entered the... Uh, so how many New Mexico ghost towns do you think you've visited? Um, wow. I, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure. Ghost towns actually kind of a slippery definition because wow. there aren't many places in New Mexico where zero people live. Acme slash Fraser down by Roswell is a place where nobody lives. I think nobody lives in Ancho anymore. There was one person when I was there. I think there's nobody now. Most, quote, ghost towns do have some residents. Um, uh -huh. Like Yeso, I think, maybe has a population of four or six or something. So if you count sort of semi-ghost towns, then... Then there's a lot. I think the definition of ghost town is something like the population is significantly decreased from its peak, and the mm -hmm. reason that the town existed is gone. So you could put Detroit in as a ghost town. <laughs> right. <laughs> but if you count places like that, like even Hillsborough, New Mexico, um, even Pinos Altos, places like that, mm -hmm. then, yeah, we're, we're, it, it's a lot. So it's a fuzzy definition. Yeah, it's a little slippery. People actually get a little offended sometimes if you call where they live a ghost town. They say, hey, I live here. It's not a ghost town. Well, <laughs> here's this, you know, academic definition that makes you feel better. Right. Why do you think they, uh, that offends them? I don't actually know. You know, some people are, are totally okay with it. And I think mm -hmm. some people just feel like they're being overlooked or they're being ignored or something along those lines. And there is, you know... A larger story at work here, which is probably part of that sensitivity, which is these places are economically 
depressed or in decline or have been in decline for a long time, like a lot of rural United States. And, and so there is sort of a sensitivity, I think, in that regard, that these are places that are, are sort of in trouble. And some people are fine with the way things are, like they don't want many people around. Right. And they're okay with that. And some people are, are definitely a little bit sensitive to it. Okay. So if we kind of expand our definition a little bit, like how many communities economically depressed uh, lower population communities have you uh, have you documented on the uh, city city of dust blog i would say on the blog itself maybe 30 probably distinct communities sometimes i would document just a place mm-hmm. like the albuquerque rail yards mm-hmm. um, or the old santa fe state penitentiary right. um, or the melvin mills mansion in springer but in terms of like actual communities, places like Yeso or Taiban or um, Lake Valley, probably 30 or so on the blog. I've done a lot more that I just haven't been able to write up and I haven't posted on the blog in a couple of years for a reason that we can get into, I think, at sure. this point. We can, we can, I haven't announced this publicly, but there will be a book um, forthcoming yeah. in, in 2020. So what is the book then? The book will be called um, Abandoned New Mexico, Ghost Towns, Endangered Architecture, and Hidden History. I couldn't get the publisher to allow me to shoehorn City of Dust in there, which makes sense because it's a super long subtitle. Yeah, I guess so. (laughs) And I couldn't have it just be Abandoned New Mexico City of Dust because, again, people are going to get upset about that because that's (laughs) the St. James Hotel is in there, so. Oh, okay. Definitely not abandoned. <laughs> Definitely not abandoned. So I tried to like cover everybody with ghost towns, and there is some hidden history and endangered mm-hmm. architecture, like the Mills Mansion is in there. And when is that uh, coming out? Hopefully, if everything... I'm working on the final edits now, which are grueling. Hopefully, June 29th is the okay. publication date. So now that you live in Nevada, are you also journeying out to check out ghost towns there? I wish I had more time to do that. I just uh-huh. have not had a chance to get out. I've been to a couple. I you know, I finally made it to Bodie, which is in California. And mm. I've been to Rhyolite and Death Valley, and those are some of the more well-known ones. Um, I've been to a couple otherwise, and there's a lot around here, but I just have not, unfortunately, had the, had the chance to get out there and explore the way I would right. like to. Have you noticed, I mean, are there differences in the, the character of... Uh ghost towns in New Mexico versus the ones that you have visited in uh, in Nevada or California? Nevada is largely mining. <clears throat> Not as much railroad ghost towns and, and no Route 66 stuff. There is Highway 50 that has some ghost towns along the loneliest road in America. Things aren't quite as intact, I think. I think a lot has been lost in Nevada, and a lot has been lost in oh. Mexico too, but there's a little more, I don't know if activity is the word, but there's a, you could, I think there's just more remaining in New Mexico and it's easier to access. You can get to it off of, you know, a lot of great stuff off Highway 60, um, a lot of great stuff down around Silver City. You can get to those places relatively easily. I mean, there's some tough stuff, but out here it's it's almost, I think 80% of the land is federal. So yeah, there's, a, there's just a lot of wide open space and you need to really... <laughs> yeah, you don't want to walk onto Area 51 either looking for ghost towns, I suppose. Yeah, there is some of that, and but a lot of it's BLM land, so it's it's oh, okay. pretty pretty open. Yeah. Hmm. So of the uh, like New Mexico ghost towns that you visited, do you have like particular favorites? Yeah, you know um, some of the ones off Highway 60, like Yeso, which I've mentioned, I really mm-hmm. like Yeso. Um, 
And there, I think there are a couple occupied houses there, but really it's, it's very intact. You know, there's an old um, hotel, the, the Hotel Mesa is still there. Um, there's the ruins of a, of a auto garage, small school building. And That's Yeso? Yeso, yeah. I mean, I think sometimes it's called Yeso. Okay. <laughs> but I think, I think Yeso is the correct pronunciation, hopefully. So whereabouts is that? Like That is near Fort Sumner. Yeah, and there's a lot around Fort Sumner as you're heading out um, towards Texas. Taiban is another one that's really got, it's great. It's got the Taiban Church. There's less intact mm-hmm. out there, but the Taiban Church is a real gem, and it's been sort of widely photographed. So what is it about that church that makes it uh, stand out? You know, that's a good question. It is just one of those places. That, it sits on a little rise. Um, it was built in 1908. It's totally empty. Um, people stop and write their prayers on the walls inside. It just looks like you would expect an old Wild West church to to look. Um, And Mm -hmm. it's just a very, some abandoned places are a little creepy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, But but not there. It's just a great place to be when the sun's setting and, you know, the the wind drops and you get the um, clouds turning pink and purple. And I've, Mm -hmm. I've been there a lot. And it's really, it's just a nice place to photograph. Are there any that are near Albuquerque that you uh, you enjoy going to? Some just down south. Um, you guys did that uh, podcast Ladronis? on the drones. Yeah. I haven't made it out there yet, but it definitely piqued my interest. Yeah, there's some interesting stuff. Um, Riley, um, there is Contreras on the other side of the Rio Grande. There's a great old church in San Acacia. Mm-hmm. Um those are relatively close. Um, there's some stuff to the east, like there's some interesting stuff around the Moriarty area. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as you go west, some stuff along old Route 66, actually, that's, that's pretty interesting. Just right on the road? Yeah, right off the road. Not so much ghost towns in that sense, but more just, you know, old, old relics Structures. of Route 66. Yeah. So what do you think draws you to this topic? That's, yeah, that's that's another good question. People have sort of mulled this over. <laughs> um, actually, we've we've mulled this over the psychology of these places and what what draws people to them. And I I wrote a little bit about this in the introduction to my book about sort of the the connection that people have to abandoned places and and where that comes from. And I mean, some of it is the aesthetics, definitely. Like there is just something that's pretty incredible about old you know, 18th or 19th century, 20th, early, well, like the Taiban church, like that early 20th century architecture, mm-hmm. um, just sort of out there on the plains. Um, there's just something about that that's really evocative. But then there's something else that's a little tougher to put your finger on, whether it's some kind of um, disenchantment with the modern world or um, <laughs> some sort of resonance that abandoned places have for some reason. Um there's there's definitely a, a psychology behind it because some people just aren't aren't into it like they find yeah. it sort of creepy or um, lonely and it does get lonely but um, <laughs> how are either of those things bad? <laughs> creepy and lonely sounds great. <laughs> I certainly don't find anything anything bad about them. Um, but yeah, there's definitely like a you know I kind of grew up in the in the punk rock scene of the of the late 80s and early 90s and i kind of actually find a parallel to that sort of being on the margins and sort of disenchantment with with uh you know the the modern 
mainstream or whatever, disaffection, all that kind of stuff, I think yeah. might be in this sort of brew of psychology that goes with the attraction of these. So have you had any, uh, any like interesting encounters or incidents while you're out there exploring these places? You know, I haven't really had, aside from one that I'll mention in a second, mm-hmm. um, I haven't really had any, any problems. Most people are very friendly. If you, if you know a little bit about the place you're looking at, um, and you can tap into a little of the history when people come to, you know, yell at you. If you know a little <laughs> something and can ask some questions and can show that you um, maybe know some family names from the area or some of the history, uh-huh. people will actually turn around pretty quick and they'll be like, oh, actually, you know, that person lived over there and this used to be a car dealership and they'll mm-hmm. kind of open up and, and start to talk. Um, the, the one thing that was sort of alarming was... Um, I guess it was probably 2013, so quite a number of years ago now, we were exploring around in Corvo, which is also a very intact ghost town. Uh, I think maybe a few people still live there, maybe 10 or something like that, um, off of I-40. Uh-huh. And we went into an old church, and there was all of these um, women's clothes, underwear, nailed to right. the wall with, um, you know, kind of goofy graffiti. But then all that stuff eventually got moved out of there and taken to a second location where things got kind of creepier with, like, these weird writings on the wall. Very So even creepier than the first one. Even creepier. And then KRQE actually contacted me and asked if I wanted to go out there and do a story with them on it. And so I was like, well, let's see what we can learn. And so we never really learned anything. There was a third location that someone contacted me about that was an abandoned Dairy Queen Stuckey's outside of Tucumcari, mm-hmm. um, which was apparently the worst of the bunch from what I was told. And it got set on fire. It was an arson fire in early April of maybe 2013 or around okay. there. Um, and then there were a bunch of arson fires in the Tucumcari area that I think a police officer and I think uh, – a couple other people were convicted of. There's, oh, I have really? no connection between any of this stuff, but there was a lot going on out there. It was just all happening right around the same time. Happening around 2014, and uh, yeah, there's never been any resolution. I, I still get messages <laughs> from people going through Cuervo saying like, "I went there and nothing happened," or "I went there and I was super creeped out and mm. some car followed me down the road or something." So I, yeah, it never resolved. No, um, and you know, people say, "Well, you must find that kind of stuff all the time." Like, no, <laughs> like you never. <laughs> Right. You never really come across stuff like that. It's, it's definitely, um, for the most part, you got to be careful. I mean, you definitely, you know, sometimes you're you're not sure what the property ownership situation is, and you're coming into people's communities when people do live there, and so you got to be careful. But in, as far as like threats and and just disturbing fines, um, right. luckily not not so much. That was the worst of it, and kind of unique. Yeah, yeah, and that actually got the state police involved, and they took it, they did take it pretty seriously. Like, they actually showed up when we were filming and and took a look around themselves, and there was some other follow-up with them that I was not a part of, so I don't actually know what the state police found. I think KRQE talked to them a little more, and there was going to be, I believe, a second broadcast with some Mm -hmm. follow-up that never aired, so I don't know what I don't know what happened with any of them. So there may be more to the story out there somewhere, but... There may be more, but I definitely don't know it. Well, has there been like kind of a, you know, any historic stories that you encountered that you wouldn't have otherwise uh, because of your, your interest in going out and kind of visiting these places on your own? 
There's actually a lot of those. Um, like, there is an old mercantile, the Corey Mercantile in Duran. Mm-hmm. And I just photographed that thinking, well, this is a great old stone mercantile. But I didn't realize that there was actually a robbery and a murder there um, that led to the last hangings in the state of New Mexico. Really? Um, and, yeah, when I started to research this, this building, um, the story is it's pretty easy to find about how, you know, some, um, some men basically at night just broke in and they shot the owner, Anton Curry, and his, his son um, actually fended them off by throwing canned goods at them because their gun jammed. <laughs> he just started, <laughs> as, I guess, as hard as he could, just started throwing cans at them, oh, um, <laughs> which is just an incredible, it's a very sad story, but in terms of New Mexico history, that's yeah. also pretty interesting. That's where the last hanging crime happened. Um, and then just in terms of, um, you know, the importance of the railroad really becomes clear how so many of these towns um, came to life because the railroad was coming through, especially the railroad as it parallels Highway 60 on the Eastern Plains. There's some interesting mining history, um, you know, the bridal chamber. I didn't really know about any of that stuff. It's people that know about mining in the bridal chamber that, you know, the, the cave of silver in Lake Valley. Yeah. What is, what is the bridal chamber? Bridal chamber. It's like, hopefully I get this right. Is the richest or the most pure silver ore deposit that's ever been found. Mm-hmm. I hope I've got that right. Um, it was basically a cave um, just beside Lake Valley that um, a miner found. He didn't know what he'd found. I think the original, the guy who actually punched a hole in it, sold it for a very relatively small, small amount to a, a mining company. Oh, no. <laughs> but, yeah. But it turned out, I mean, like, I, I think they call it horn silver, which is basically horn, like, silver you don't even need to even process, just uh-huh. coming off the, the roof of the cave. You, they said you could hold a hold a um, flame up to it, and silver would just drip down off the Oh, my God. Wow. So, yeah, I didn't know about any of this stuff because, you know, I grew up in Minnesota, so. Right. Uh, all pretty fascinating. And then there's some grim stuff like the Santa Fe Penitentiary. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know about that? Um, the riots, you mean, back in the 80s? Yeah. Yep, yep. And that, that's going to be in the book. I kind of went back and forth about putting that in the book. Um, there was a time when you could, if you knew the right people, you could take kind of tours of uh, yeah. the Santa Fe Pen on the sly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was able to get in there when I first moved to New Mexico for a few hours and just roam around and I don't oh, really know the story. I knew some of it, but it wasn't until afterwards. I was like, wow. Yeah. How dark it got. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's grim. Um, there's a lot, like even the, even the Taiban church, like the story of that is pretty well documented, you know, built in 1908 for mm-hmm. a couple hundred bucks and, um, closed in, I think, 1930, and Taiban itself was, like, well-known for being a bootlegging. The surrounding area was, was dry, so you had a lot of um, people coming in from West Texas to get alcohol uh-huh. and rich people flying their planes in. So you had this interesting sort of dichotomy between alcohol on the one hand and then the importance of the Taiban church in Taiban, so you can really see that dynamic. And I think a couple bars, maybe at least one bar, Max Bar, I think, um, was the last business. So the bars actually outlasted the church. Oh, boy. <laughs> There's some commentary. <laughs> <laughs> Make of that what you will, but yeah. 
What about um, like souvenir hunting? I mean, is that legal to do or is it just a case-by-case kind of situation? I think most people that do this um, sort of with a passion would tell you that, you know, you should not take anything from these places. Mm -hmm. Um, You should just, whatever you find, just leave there um, and, and don't disturb things and don't pull things apart and tear things down. I mean, there's so many stories now of, of you know buildings collapsing just because someone came by and kicked out a support. There's actually a, there was a, a great old house in um, Encino. Over the years, I've kind of come to know some of the, the family members that grew up there. There were, there were five, it was a five seater outhouse, which I've never heard of. Um, <laughs> I want to say they were, there were 12 kids. I might have that wrong, but it was the Harrison family and it was a really charming old, old house. And it, it's been falling down for years and years, but I was recently told that someone came by and pulled out one of the porch supports, and that's the end of it. It's it's now just in a heap on the ground. And it was probably going to fall down anyway eventually, but there's no need to hasten it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much, John, and um, well, we'll keep in touch. Yeah, if you need anything more, just let me know. I appreciate it. And thank you so much for listening. If you enjoy the show and you'd like to help us out uh, and keep going financially, you can check out our Patreon account at patreon.com slash edge, And we have several patrons who are helping keep the show going. Um, and I'd like to send a quick shout out to them. We've got Amy Nevitt, Ben Tucker, Christopher Holden, Isaac, Jean-Yves Bart, Jen Panhorst, Jesse Crawford, Jem Robillard, Joshua Haland, Kelsey Tietchen, Lando Enchantment, Nachasa Chizdes, Neil, Nicole Finch and Rachel Langer. Thank you guys so much. And we'll be back soon with a new episode. Um, and I believe this next time we're going to be talking about the town of Hagen, which we briefly mentioned in this episode. <laughs>